and just took off across that main thoroughfare as if there was no other car on it. And they explained to me that, well, you know, uh, part of our culture is fatalistic. That, you know, if things happen, it's because they happen and there's nothing that you can do to change it. It's fatalism. It's just fate. And these kids were, were just kind of caught up in that mindset. And when it came their time to die, they were going to die and there was nothing they could do about it. Well, that brings us to Lamentations. There's a statement that I want you to write down on your outline. It's up here on the screen. Judah's exile to Babylon was not the result of fate or chance. It was not. It did not just happen. It did not just take place by chance. Jerusalem just happened to be weak at the wrong time when the Babylonian army was strong. It did not happen. It was not the result of fate or chance. What we do remember is that in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and some of this is repeated in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, that there were stipulations of the covenant that God made at Mount Sinai back in the book of Exodus with the newly formed nation of Israel that had just by the Exodus been brought out of Egypt and for nine months, maybe 12 months, is right there at the foot of Mount Sinai being formed into a nation. And after they have failed at Kadesh Barnea and the spies come back and say, we can't take the land, and they're made to wander in the desert for 40 years, we get to the book of Deuteronomy and the people are getting ready to go back into the land at the end of the 40 years. Moses is not going to go, but he's concerned about the people and he gives them basically three sermons or three speeches to remind them of that covenant and the stipulations that were made and agreed to at that covenant back 40 years earlier at Mount Sinai. And in chapter 28, I want, to, I want to read portions of it so that we get it fresh in our mind again, the kinds of things that were said centuries before we get to the exile and the devastation of Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. Up here on the screen, you can follow along, beginning in verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. The Lord will establish, establish you as His holy people, as He promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to Him. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following their gods and serving them. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds and all the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. Lamentations by Jeremiah is about the curses of Deuteronomy that I've just read becoming a reality with the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of the people to Babylon in 586 B.C. And the way that Lamentations is structured teaches us much. Lamentations, if you read, is a very short book. There's only five chapters. But Lamentations is a book of poetry. It is 
lamentations. It's grief. It's expressed suffering. It's the lament of Jeremiah that is expressed in poetry. And as you know, grief is, is powerfully captured and conveyed emotionally in poetry. Think about sad songs that you sing. The words of that sad song, as you sing them, as, as the words of those songs begin to go from your head to your heart in that music, as you begin to express them, begin to capture that heart, and you feel the emotions beginning to well up. And, and the form of poetry causes people to stop and, and to think and to reflect on the experience. So Lamentations chapter 1, the first two verses. How deserted lies the city. Once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She was queen among the provinces. Uh, she who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps. At night tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. That is so much emotionally, so much more packed with emotion than just saying, hey, guess what? Everybody sinned and they were punished and carried off into Babylonian captivity. What's being created is the emotion that connects to the event and begins to, to reflect and begins to think and begins to slow down and to stop and, and to think deeply and profoundly on why did this happen? Why did this great city that was once queen among the nations and the provinces that has now become a slave, why is this city deserted? Why was it so once full of people but now no longer? That's the power of, of the poetry and Lamentations. There are five chapters to Lamentations. The first four chapters are really an acrostic. Each verse begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each chapter ends with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. One of the commentators, Norman Gottwald, says that through this acrostic, what Jeremiah is doing from the first letter to the last letter, he is allowing the Hebrews to confess their sins A to Z. And what you find in Lamentations is one of the, the greatest and most comprehensive catalogs of the sins that Israel or Judah was, uh, was guilty of that led to their exile and the destruction of their city. And what we see in Lamentations very quickly are going to be the suffering, the wrath, and the hope. Now when we think about this agonizing judgment that has fallen on, on Jerusalem, the first thing that comes to us in Lamentations is the suffering. We go to chapter 5, verse 4. excuse me, Leviticus chapter 5, verse 4. If anyone thoughtlessly takes an oath to do anything, whether good or evil, in any matter one might carelessly swear about, even though they are unaware of it, but then they learn of it and realize their guilt, when anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess in what way they have sinned. And then when you go to the New Testament, the brother of Jesus... James, the leader in the church of Jerusalem, chapter 5, verse 17 says, Confess your sins. Confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Uh, one of the things that happens in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the, 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 the experience of confessing sin, of what is on your heart, being brought out of your heart and verbalized to another person, 
All of that is talked about in, in very positive terms, that it is a healing process. Because in the confession, you are in saying something. You know, there, there's a lot of times that, you know, we hear people say, you know, that it wasn't real until I said it, until those words came out of my mouth. The same thing is true with the confession. When you confess something, you are taking something that is, is, is um, uh, unholy in the sight of God. It is something that's wrong with you. It's something wrong that you said or wrong that you did. It's, it's that human condition that has, has corrupted a relationship, perhaps, that is taken seriously enough that is actually verbalized and brought out of your mouth and it's being dealt with honestly and truthfully. And what James says is that that's when the healing begins to take place. The point is that sin is never to be taken lightly. And the more that we grow in grace and the closer we draw to God, the more sensitive we should become to sin in our life. And it's not a proper understanding of grace. If grace becomes nothing more than a cheap excuse to do whatever we want to do, one of the things we saw this morning is that the Lord's temple had become a den of robbers. It became a place that was so corrupt and so uh, callous towards the presence, being sensitive to the presence, the spiritual holy presence of God, that it actually became a place where robbers metaphorically speaking, could go and feel that they were safe from anything authoritatively ever touching them and punishing them. And Jeremiah says, why, why do you treat God's temple that way? As if that temple is some kind of a, of a dome over, over you, an iron dome over you, a stone dome over, over you that protects you from your sin, from God's wrath. And the fact that you say, this is the Lord's temple, the Lord's temple, the Lord's temple is repeated three times. It becomes sort of this spell or this incantation that somehow magically is going to make you immune from the wrath of God. And Jeremiah says, no. The problem, though, was that Judah was completely gripped in sin. And so we get to Lamentations chapter 1, verse 8. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, and so has become unclean. And all who honored her despise her, for they have all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Chapter 4, verse 13. But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Now they grope through the streets as if they were blind. They are so defiled with blood that no one dares to touch their garments. And again, what we find in Lamentations is Jeremiah lingering over the suffering that came when God delivered to Judah's doorstep a certificate of divorce in Jeremiah chapter 3. And once that was done, the door was wide open for the Babylonians to come in and to, to devastate that city. And what we find in Lamentations is a catalog of those sins that brought that divorce from God between God and, and Judah to fruition. In chapter 1, the festivals of the Lord are forgotten. And also in chapter 1, verse 5, and again repeated in chapter 2, all of Judah's enemies are going to be rejoicing over her because of her sin. And Judah's enemies are rejoicing over her destruction. This is betrayal from Judah's allies in chapter 1. Again in chapter 1, the treasure of the city and the temple have been carried off. The princes who were to lead Judah have been stripped of all power and influence. Their king is in exile. The prophets are silent. They have been deceitful in their message to the, uh, to the people. They have not told the truth, but have told the people what it is that they wanted to hear. The priests are not spared from judgment. 
The women are raped by the enemy. The young and the old are killed. Children have gone into captivity. Children are suffering from starvation and are even in chapter 2, verse 20, cannibalized by, by their mothers. And so what we have is this catalog of the, the awful sin and the suffering that was brought to bear on the head of the Jews because of, of their breaking covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Exodus chapter 20. And, and the, in fact, the entire end of the book of Exodus is basically uh, the stipulations of what it means to live in the presence of a holy God. Because that was broken, this came to bear on them. And Judah groaned under the weight of her grief and affliction. And it comes because of the second point, the wrath. Lamentations is not just about the sin and about the suffering, but it's also about the wrath. After the warning of the prophets, the day came in which God inflicted Judah with sorrow. In verse 12, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of His fierce anger? That, that personal pronoun being representative of Israel or, or, or South Judah, speaking to anybody in, in general, but to God in particular. Has any suffering ever been like mine? In chapter 4, the Lord has given full vent to His wrath. He has poured out His fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed her foundations. And so what has happened is that if you, if you read chapter 1 and verse 13, Israel has been stunned and they are beginning to fade. They stumble. The very next verse, they've, given over, they've been given over into the hands of their enemies. In chapter 4, He has scattered them about. In chapter 2, He has broken down the strongholds. In chapter 2, God Himself has become like an enemy to His people. But here's the thing about the wrath. At first glance, it looks like disastrous news that Judah's punishment was the personal expression of the anger of God. That we're in this covenant that covenant has been broken. Jeremiah chapter 3, the certificate of divorce has been given to, to Israel. God and His people have been, uh, are divorced now spiritually. And, it's, and, and the devastation is coming and, and the punishment is coming and the wrath is poured out. And at first glance, it looks like disastrous news that this is God's personal expression of wrath and anger on His people. I mean, what hope is there for Judah if God is against them? But... That brings us to the hope. The hope that is to be found in God. The reality is, Israel's enemies could never have touched her had God not handed Judah over because of her great sin against His holiness. And one of the curious things in Lamentations is how prayers are sprinkled throughout the book. Prayers to God. For example, Lamentations chapter 1, verse 9. Her filthiness clung to her skirt. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. And then this. Look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Verse 11. All her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. Look, Lord, and consider, for I am despised. Chapter 2 and verse 20. Look, Lord, and consider whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Lamentations chapter 5. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look 
and see our disgrace. Verse 21, the same chapter. Restore us to Yourself, Lord, that we may return, renew our days as of old. Why does Jeremiah pray to God in the midst of anguish when it is God Himself who has delivered it? The reason he does is because even in the midst of this suffering and in the middle of this devastation, the author remembers the covenant that was expressed to them in Exodus chapter 34. And chapter 3 of Lamentations forms the very core, the very center of the book. And there's Jeremiah who is talking about the toll that has been taken on him. As you know, his decades of ministry from the beginning of Josiah to, to the end, to the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., decades of ministry, he has not been treated well. The, the, the priests and the prophets have risen, other prophets have risen up against him. He has been beaten. He has been thrown in a well. He has been thrown in stocks. He has been thrown in a cistern. He has been threatened. He has been dragged off to Egypt. A toll has been taken on Jeremiah. He says, my skin and my flesh grow old. Bitterness and hardness, hardness are all around. His life feels like it's weighed down with chains. Maybe many of you know what that feels like, to feel like you can't get up because you're just chained down with just the bad part of life. He says at one point, it feels like wild animals have dragged my, my body away and mangled my body, have, have dragged my, my body off of, the, off of the path and mangled it. He says to God, it feels like you're using me for target practice. I've just become this target and all the arrows are being launched at me. And then he says, you know, when I think of all of this that's happened, the splendor is gone. He says, my soul is downcast. Got a case of the blues. Severe case of the ordinaries. But then, verse 21. Yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And then it's as if He turns in the middle of the sentence and looks to heaven. He says, Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for Him. And then you drop down to verse 33. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though He brings grief, He will show compassion. So great is His chesed, His unfailing love. For He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. For He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. One of the special contributions to our knowledge of God from Lamentations is to confront us with the terrible, terrible, terrible reality of the wrath of God towards sin. There is no way, theologically, to reconcile sin and holiness. And in recognizing that fact, and in recognizing the greatness of the sin and how it is a, a blot upon the, the wall of God's holiness, to understand the truth that sin is punished 
and it is punished thoroughly. He does send into exile. And while he, he does punish the sin, He also pushes us to the One who suffers. As Isaiah said of the Messiah, He is one who is acquainted with grief and acquainted with sorrow. And He is the one who is acquainted with sorrow and with lament and with grief, not because of His own sins, but because of the sins of the world. And while the the, the truth that sin is punished and punished thoroughly, and at the end of time, that, that sin will send people into the ultimate exile in which there is no hope for God ever coming to rescue He does provide through His compassion, through His unfailing love, through His chesed, His loyalty. He does provide a way out from under it. And although the Messiah was sinless, He suffered for a time exile and forsakenness for our sins in order that we might find not only a way out from under the wrath of God, but find our way into His eternal love forever and ever. And not only to overcome sin in this life and to, and to grow in our holiness and grow in our ability to be conformed to the image of Jesus, but to supply us with a never-ending supply of forgiveness and to, to, to create the loving, forgiving, compassionate, merciful atmosphere in which we as human beings can be truthful before the One who sees us honestly and more truthfully than we even see ourselves. So that the confession of that sin can happen and be dealt with and that sin problem be cured for all of eternity. It's one of the things that Lamentations drives us toward, pushes us toward, is to come out from under the wrath of God because of the ways that He has over and over and over again pleaded with us to follow. Jeff's going to lead us in a song. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Maybe it's been a long time since you confessed sin. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been very honest and truthful about your own life. And I want you to know that as a church family, God is using this church family to create that atmosphere of mercy and compassion and grace and love and fellowship and encouragement and solidarity in order for you to be honest and truthful with your life and to do it in the context of people who love you and will pray for you and will support you and do whatever they can to encourage you to continually to do business with your life, you and God, doing that kind of business on a daily basis. Or maybe it's that you've never been honest at all about your life and have never done anything about that sin that separates you from God, that is going to drive you into the ultimate exile. If that's the case too, our shepherds would love to talk to you about how those sins can be washed away from your life through confession of that sin and changing the direction of your life, which the Bible calls repentance, and and, and receiving that gift of the Holy Spirit in such a way that you become a person that draws closer to God and becomes more conformed to the image of Jesus, that human being that you were always supposed to be, that you were created to be like. And if that describes you tonight, we, we want to help you. 
And we want to love you. And to show that kind of compassion in a tangible 